Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. All right, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another GDT Tuesday with myself, Cody Coster, and Mr. John Spainhauer from Chicago. John, how you doing? Doing very well, Cody. Uh, I was invited to replace Brian Fletcher on a video cast the other day, and I was reminded that I do indeed have a face for radio, so I am happy to be back here on your podcast. Well, we're very happy to have you here, even though you did a pretty banging job with uh, with Matt Gould there. Wow, we try. Absolutely. Well, middle of May here, and uh, kind of an interesting GDT today. Yeah, you bet, Cody. When we get into a, an auction result like we had today, it's always a bit confusing. If you don't mind and bear with me here, I'm going to have to get into a little bit of wonkiness as we get into the GDT results. And I'm going to have to try to explain away something that's not the easiest to do. But uh, if everybody bears with me, I, I think we might be able to bring some, bear some light on a very complicated subject matter. Absolutely. You just want to kind of dive right into it? Yeah. Let's start out with the easy ones. We'll go ahead and say here on the uh, AMF, AMF was up 0.6. Butter was down 1%. If we were to look at an equivalent butter price, we would say that that butter price translates into about 254. So right now, New Zealand, even though that was down only 1%, the U.S. price has been going up and in fact went up today. We are now uh, at a premium to New Zealand on their butter price, yet we are still a discount to Europe on their butter price. Moving over to skim milk powder, this one makes a little bit of sense too. Uh, down 0.6%. That was a, a pretty steady eddy, if you want to call it that. And that is almost exactly where the futures were predicting we were going to be. In fact, it came in just a little bit higher, but you know, you really can't uh, split hairs on this. We'll just go ahead and call 0.6. We'll call it slightly lower to unchanged there. That's going to leave the New Zealand non-fat price at about $1.87. Here in the U.S., we're at one seventy-four and a half as of today. So really compressed that spread. On the cheddar side, down 0.1. Again, we're going to go ahead and call that steady and put that in at about a 256 cheese price. So you say, well, that's a pretty steady auction across there. Um, that all looks good. And then you say, well, the composite index today was down 2.9%. And that if everything else is steady and the composite index is composite index is down, that must mean that whole milk powder was lower. And in fact, whole milk powder was 4.9% lower. And, you know, it's it's easy to look at that and say, well, geez, that's another down digger of a whole milk powder day, lower prices. And, and I guess in, in reality, yes, the, the, the index was down. However, it, it's just a little bit more complicated than that. Many of the whole milk powder uh, contracts, uh, uh, very specifically the regular whole milk powder contracts, came in at unchanged, some of them even slightly higher uh, and, and, and a little bit better than what um, the futures were expecting. However, there has been a very complicated issue out here on the GDT right now, and that is, is that in the whole milk powder contract, we're not only trading regular uh, whole milk powder. We're also trading instant whole milk powder and UHT whole milk powder. Specifically, the instant carry typically does carry a very large premium to the regular. And for whatever reason, on the last auction, the instant went to an uber premium, specifically on the tail end of the curve to the regular. On this auction, the, that instant came down 
quite significantly, while the regular price was actually steady to, and again, in some cases, maybe just a little bit higher, uh, you know, but we'll just call the, the regular unchanged. So what the most traded spec on the entire auction trades unchanged. However, there are some very specific specs, I guess I hate to be redundant there, on some instant and some UHT, again, specifically instant that came lower that were significantly higher on the last one. And for whatever reason, that came out. So if we were, you know, I think if we were to speak to somebody at the GDT right now, they would say, I understand why it might look wrong to see, you know, many of these contracts trade unchanged and yet to list it as 4.9% lower. But statistically, it's correct. And and again, I this is inside baseball, if you will, and I'm not able to di- dissect it in totality, specifically in the way that I want to be able to, to say this is exactly how they got the number. If there was a revision in the, the print that they put out, I could understand. But I'm going to go ahead and lean on the idea that there, there's just a difference in the statistical average approach of how the instant whole milk powder went in. Again, I apologize to everybody who's listening and saying, what in God's name is this guy talking about? However, it is very important to point out, and I would go ahead, you know, if we just looked at the regular, again, a steady auction and and, and a really good result, at least as it relates to the auction result that we saw last week. Now, John, does instant powder trade normally on the GDT? It it can, and it does. Just not at this kind of volume and in, in, in numbers wise, then correct? Correct. And I I think uh, there was a little bit of uh, uh, again last last time if we were to look at it, you could say you know an argument could be made that the last auction should have been significantly lower if it weren't for the instant mm-hmm. premium that was put in. We pulled some of that instant premium out. Brought the regular up. The regular, in my opinion, is far more important to the way we want to look at the marketplace. The regular came up. The instant came down. It pulls the index on the whole milk powder in totality down 4.9%. And when we look at the auction in general, down 2.9% because of that. I I do, however, and again, this will be the the fifth lower auction in a row, uh, but I will make the argument that this was a steady auction, not one that's 2.9% lower uh, for all intents and purposes. And again, I don't mean to sound as if I'm explaining away a, a bearish result and trying to spin it bullish. It's just having been around this auction for as long as I have, we do see these kind of quirky things pop up and the way that the index is comprised that just don't quite add up maybe into the way that we would look at this in practicality. No, that that makes sense. I guess the big question, China being back to the table, maybe not as much as they were a few auctions ago, but uh, back nonetheless or no? You know what, Cody, I'll I'll go back to uh, two weeks ago, sitting at my desk while the GDT was going off and watching it and watching that price go down as much as it did, I was uh, very quick to say, well, China didn't show up. What do you expect to have happen? And when we got the results and we looked at them and saw China actually had one of its best showings in four months on the last auction, and it was just a really great auction, then people say, well, how could China show back up? And we still went down as much as we did. And I think it's important to point out that China is not the only buyer on the auction. Uh, They are a very important buyer, probably the most important buyer. However, they are not the only buyer. And over in the previous auctions, we had had 
people like the Middle East and a lot of Europeans showing up on the auction to, to buy product. And on the last auction, not this auction, uh, the Chinese showed back up, but the Middle East and North Africa, they stepped back. As we fast forward to this auction, what we can see is is that the Chinese were very much here, not necessarily in the way that they were on the last auction, but the the Middle Easterners showed back up, and uh, I believe the North Africans showed back up. So we did get this return of participation, a little bit of moving back and forth. But make no bones about it, the Chinese were here on this auction. You know, they are still in lockdown, but I think we're starting to get signals that that lockdown will probably be opening up soon. And as they open up, there's going to be, there has been in the past, a historically a big demand for these dairy products and all products, but dairy not to be left out. And it can be a, a, a big pulling sound on uh, imports back into China of dairy products and, and could see them show back up on the GDT. I think we have seen them show up in preparation for that and starting to get some buying done here. So uh, from a participation standpoint, I, I think it was a really good auction and it showed, hey, China was, again, not, not quite as strong as they were last month, but definitely represented here. And now other places like Middle East showing back up. There was an argument to be made last auction, and, and I apologize for uh, not being aware of it, but it was Ramadan, I believe, during the last auction, uh, a very important point in time for a lot of people in the Middle East. And they may not have been participating on the auction because of that. Now we come out of that and uh, they show back up. So I, I think, again, a very supportive auction, not the most bullish thing. Uh, you know, we can't look at it and say, hey, look, prices took off. But what we can say is, is that I think we have found some consolidation in here. That's, that's good to know. I mean, looking at our prices on the chart that you sent over, at least on the butter, non-fat and cheese side, we are still a pretty good discount uh, to the rest of the world. I'm going to have to correct you there just a little bit on the butter. You are right. Uh, believe it or not, the American butter producers should be, manufacturers should be very proud. At this point in time, we are higher than New Zealand, yet still quite a bit lower than Europe. And if there's exports to be done, and I believe there are, that stuff's still going to go out the door. Get into the nonfat world, and yeah, we are cheaper, but that spread has really compressed. You know, here we are at 174.5, Europe at 182, and New Zealand at 187. We have compressed that spread. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It is not impossible for the U.S. to go higher than the rest of the world. It's just very difficult for it to do so, and it is very difficult to sustain that. So I think it's important that we keep an eye uh, for nonfat. We keep an eye on those international prices. I have no doubt in my mind we can see New Zealand and European prices start to go higher again. And, and we're going to need that to happen, though, for our prices to go higher. If those prices, for whatever reason, continue to move lower, that is going to spell a little bit of trouble here for the U.S. nonfat price. As you move over to cheese, uh, we are the lowest in the world. Here we are in the U.S. at an average of about 241, Europe at 260, and New Zealand at 256. That still leaves some room from a spot perspective, but I do want everybody to keep in mind many times these cheese contracts for export are not cut on a spot basis. They're not even really cut on a month-long basis. They're typically cut on a quarterly to a half-year basis. And if we keep that in mind, I think it's important to point out that our futures were significantly lower than the rest of the world just a few months back. And there's a very, very high likelihood that we have booked exports at lower prices for the next three to six months and that we could continue to see strong exports move out the door. Uh, I can't remember if we were able to talk about it on the last podcast or not, but during the month of of March, 
I believe, we had record exports of cheese. I, I, I want to say it again, record exports of cheese. And this is during a time when the general consensus was those boats aren't moving. And I, I think it's important to point out that I do believe those boats are moving. But most importantly, I think that that boat situation stands to get better. And and, and if those were the, ex, I, I've said it so many times on this podcast, if those are the amount of exports we got out while the boats were broken or the ports were broken, what are we going to do when this thing's really running? And, and I think you see it. You see record exports of cheese. And that's a big congratulations to everybody out there in the cheese world and the dairy industry in general. These exports in general are, are huge. They are big. We have been the lowest price in the world for most of the time. We have a futures that allows people to you know, take advantage of that, lock in long-term exports and get that product out the door. And the result of it is here we are, class three, 2468, class four, 2457. And my guess is at least that these are, at least for right now, the, these index prices that I just listed off there, we're not done going higher. And, and if the current cheese market is any indication of that, or, or really nonfat butter and cheese is any indication of that, we still have some upside to go. And I think a lot of that is going to be on the backs of exports that we were able to book in a long-term format through our futures contracts. I mean, that's great to hear. At this point, John, besides, you know, kind of being bullish on this GDT auction, even though it was negative 2.9, almost 3% lower, is there anything else that really stood out to you for this specific auction? You know, uh, on this specific auction, Cody, I'll say it, it just stands to show you, you know, we've all been sitting back trying to figure out when China is going to come back in. One of the things I, I has really baffled me is we said, hey, when China comes back in, prices are going to go a whole lot higher. China came back in and last auction we got hammered. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then this auction, they were still there. And by the books, this auction is 2.9% lower. So that really does catch me uh, a little bit sideways and say, huh, what aren't I seeing here? One of the things that I would add to that is Matt's forecast that he put out last week. I think it's just so important to point out on there that by many of the measures that people that we are able to use in a historical basis and and using government stocks numbers and government production numbers and this, that and the other, I think it's important to point out that the demand factor that we see out there is waning. There, there, if we just look at globally traded product right now, the product that's that's happening out there, there is a, we are suffering a little bit at the demand level. And you can look at that and say that in itself is very bearish, right? And I think people really concentrate on that. However, I think that really has to be counteracted by, or counterweighted at least by the idea of supply. And I think we've got, uh, we've already seen milk production get hammered earlier in this year. It's a big part of why we're at the price level that we're at. So is demand, but supply moving as low as it did during certain parts of this year, very important to that idea of higher prices and very important, not only just from a domestic milk production standpoint, but a global milk production standpoint. We saw European milk production move lower. We saw New Zealand milk production move lower. And I think as we look at it, say, it's very, very tempting to look at these high prices and say, these high prices are going to cure that milk production problem. And I think in the past, myself included, it would be very, very easy to say that's exactly what's going to happen. And I buy into that argument. However, I think it is important. And I think, Cody, your producers can really feel this and speak to this. The cost factor at the feed level 
is significantly different today than probably at any time that we've seen it during my career and doing what we do here. And, and I would imagine your career as well, Cody. And uh, just looking at it from that standpoint, it says that with this high feed cost structure, If we do see demand wane to the point where prices go lower and we maintain this this cost structure, that we're going to lose milk, right? Uh, We're just not, at the very least, we're not going to gain it. But a very strong argument can be made that we're going to lose milk. And, And if we look at it through that context, we can say demand at high prices starting to get rationed. There's no doubt about that. We can see it in the stats. Supply, though, at this high feed costs starting to get rationed. And I think what it does is, is it makes the argument for a relatively supportive picture here into the foreseeable future. If you can tell me when you know that that feed structure is going to change, then we can start to apply a different outlook onto this and say, we've got maybe some declining demand and increasing supply. However, right now with this feed structure, the way it is, I think we have to just say the market has done its job. It's probably pricing this correctly. And if there's any sort of down down digger in price here in the U.S. that could easily lead to a, a, a pullback in supply, which could easily lead to another spike in prices. I know that's a very long-winded answer to a question that you asked, but I, I guess it, it just maintains that when I look at this auction and when you really think about where we're at today. Well, and to piggyback off of that, a lot of the producers that I talked to in the States would quote more of a, uh, a margin because of the feed pricing of 2008-2009 type time frame instead of what you would think of maybe like a 2014 type pricing on the class 3 class 4 right just because feed is that such you know so much more extravagantly expensive right now yeah, that's exactly it. And I think it's really changed the game and, and it's just changed the model and the way that we need to look at this again I think uh, Brian Rice has a book around here and it says, never expect that commodities won't be produced below the cost of break even. So if we were to look at it through that lens to say, what if supply really did or demand really did pull back and prices went lower than the cost of break even? Does that mean that everybody's going to stop making milk? Probably not. But are we going to lose some, you know, and especially in the immediate term, the answer is probably not. We can have one to two months of lower prices below the cost of break even, but hold on to that for a while, start to go to, you know, three and four months and really take that price lower. You can very easily get a supply response that, you know, takes enough milk out of the system to make prices bounce right back up. So I do think it's important to, you know, put a little bit of a nuance in there to say, by all means, product can trade below, prices can trade below the price of break even on not only dairy, but any commodity. But if you do it for a sustained period of time, it's going to have an effect on that supply line. And we could easily see prices, you know, move into a, a whole new structure if these if these input prices don't correct themselves. Well, John, we appreciate the, uh, the deep dive into this GDT and the explanation to everybody on kind of uh, what's going on with whole milk powder there. I think that's going to do it for this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, concerns, please get a hold of John or myself. We will try to answer them. You bet, Cody. And and to the listeners out there, I sincerely apologize for how uh, nuanced, dorky, and long-winded the whole milk powder explanation was, but uh, it is an important 
part of the auction and it's just hanging around this thing as long as we have, it allows us to have a little bit of a look into that. For sure. But I think it was better to dive deep into it like you did instead of just kind of glaze over it with the 50,000 foot view of it, to be honest. It was really good. You said it, not me, Cody. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, John. Cheers. Cheers.